0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
1: There is a place where time stands still where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong
2: and the deadly can
1: survive. This place
2: is no place for civilized man. took it in the guts, Barry.
0: Got a new now far the Australian culture. Pretty collected. And you together? go through that doorway to the greatest little culture
1: in the world. Yes, you do. You go through the uh doorway to the greatest little culture in the world, and that's Australian culture, of course, and that's what this show uh, looks at but it's in the form of the moving image. This is Showreel, this is Annie and we're talking about Australian films and other moving image because there's uh, lots more to the industry these days than purely films. But today we are actually looking at two films that are just getting theatrical releases. Uh, there's one called Damage. It is uh, by Madeleine Blackwell. And the other is uh, called A Savage Christmas because, because of course, there is hardly any time left until Christmas is upon us. And uh, this particular uh is is Australian Made, comes from Queensland and uh, it's got uh, very interesting elements to it. Uh, it's going to be on at the Sun Cinema uh, starting tonight and uh, if you're interested in uh, supporting Australian film that would be a good way to do it. Uh, but first up we're going to uh, listen to my chat with Madeline Blackwell and I'll have to say I am an absolute fan of this film Damage. It is of truly magnificent piece of filmmaking. Thank you very much for talking to me today, Madeline. I was so impressed with your film. It's one of the most well-crafted filmic experiences I've had all year. Um, can, I, I noticed that you are actually got a, quite an interesting uh, professional background. You're a writer as well as a producer and as a, a director and you've been an actor as well, is that right? I have. I've come from
0: the theatre. I'm an animal from the
1: theatre. Yeah, right. Okay. So tell me about, and I noticed that the three films that you've done are very intimate spaces, like you use cars in a way that um, is almost a metaphor for the mo- modern world, I'd have to say. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah. Um... Did you see my film Elsewhere, that
0: short film? I haven't. That, I, yeah, I, I was just reading the
1: storylines and I thought, oh, my goodness, there's uh, something very compelling about this.
0: Yeah, it's the breakup of a relationship scene from three episodes inside a car. Um, same car, different times, same people. But, yeah. Anyway, um, cars, yeah, there is an intimacy. Um, it is a, well, it's a space that you can create Um, a very elliptical. When you get inside a taxi with someone, you can sometimes really connect and know so much about that person without knowing their CV, where they were born, where they're from, what their name is, anything. But you can share things. And that's quite a fascinating thing about being a human being, that we, we have a sixth sense in terms of when it comes to connecting with each other. And in this film, Damage, I kind of composed the progress of two people who have a certain banal hostility to each other and then who actually realise that, well, they're both lying to each other but in a way, but they realise that they really do have something in common. And I found that to be a, a cry for sort of humanity, a cry for um trust acknowledgement understanding in this outside world that is about framing people and putting people in categories and and teaching us to hate each other really setting yeah. us against each other
1: yeah well that that you do this fantastic thing where you have uh, perspectives that the camera gives us and it takes a while for the viewer to actually formulate Uh, understanding of what it is we're watching, we're looking at. So the perspective is over the top and then there's a pattern and then you suddenly uh, worked out what the pattern actually is in the real world. Tell me about what your thought processes were when you were constructing this film.
0: Well, there was also always this sort of zone called the outside world in the script, in the original script. There's the inside world of the taxi, which is human beings, and there's this outside world, if you like, which is being militarised, being controlled, it's technologically driven, um, and it's so foreign to what's our flesh and blood and what we have with each other, you know. And so, yeah, I wanted to kind of position these two people not in a real city that we recognise but in inside a taxi, which is almost, they could be the last two people on earth in a way. I mean, that, you know, they don't have to be, it's very open to interpretation, but there's only two people in this film and yet they live in this huge world that we see. Um, And uh, so, yeah, there was always that concept in the script that um, I needed to juxtapose what's going inside the car, with what's outside the car, because we carry that inside of us. Ali, in memory, Ali carries inside the character of Ali. He carries the memory of what's happened to him, in, and and uh, and so does the character um, Mrs. Brown, Esther Brown. Um, she's driven. She's on a mission. Um, so we have these motivations. We have these. Uh, we we have this. Um, personal psychology that for both cases is, is um, well, it's themed around the word damage. They're two damaged people, but we ask ourselves why are they damaged? What are their values? What world are they living in? Um, And it's an examination of that. So there are very,
1: very big, big, big issues in the film, even though it's only a little film. Yeah, yeah, and the damage um is you you can't escape from the fact that you feel like the world is damaged as well uh, I mean yeah. of course there's all these threads running through the film and it's just so beautifully made you've made such a beautiful film this is the best one of the, I'd say I swear this is the best film I think I've seen all year I was watching it notes and, and I've seen some good films and I'm thinking oh my goodness this is so well crafted um and you are you touch so many political, Uh, and human rights issues in this film, like deftly, like a surgeon, without even the viewer feeling that uh, they've... uh, It's like being on a bus and then suddenly having a conversation with... Oh, it's like being in the demonstrations for the Palestinians that I've been to over the last week and talking to somebody and they're telling me about the smell of the, the rubble where the bodies will be. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is just such an amazing film. Um, the characters, the people acting in it, You, how did you prepare them for the roles? They're both non-actors. They've never
0: performed on film before. Um, there is. It was very important to me to find someone who could bring their own experience to the film. Uh, Ali Aljanabi, I saw him on stage when he was... Um, He was at the Sydney Writers Week launching a book a long time ago, launching a book that was written by Robin de And he was the subject of that book. And I saw him on stage with Robin talking about the book and I just thought, that's the guy. That's the guy for my film. Um, It took me a year to convince him to do it. Um, The old woman is my mother, actually. Mulder Burke is my mum. She was a singer, a great singer. And... um, I didn't ever look anywhere else. I just wanted, she's just got such an expressive face and I knew that I wanted that, uh, I wanted somebody who wouldn't act. And um, well, when I say wouldn't act, you know, (laughs) actors are great at not acting. So yeah, I I just wanted to get her expressive face. It's a portrait of two people. There's a lot of close ups. They're in a car for the whole film. So the faces are really important. And I knew that she had that
1: range of expressions that I wanted to, to get for Esther Brown. Well, you preempted that uh, question about the close-ups um, and the uh, fantastic alienation sequence when they lo- have lost each other at that um, car wash. That was the timing in that, like the pacing and timing. How did you work that out?
0: Well, basically that was a guy called Rafael Rivera um, who was the editor and um, he did the most extraordinary job and it was more than an editing job. Um, we made the film in the cutting room, you know, as they all say, that the film was made in the cutting room and Rafael was, um, you know, went on a very long journey with me through the ups and downs, so, like through the shoots, we would um, do the data wrangling late at night and then he would rather. I'd be asleep on the floor somewhere. And um, he was extraordinary and it was his first film, first feature that he's edited. He was straight out of film school. He's a, a hugely talented storyteller. And, um, yeah, so it was really his touch that that brought that to it. Mm,
1: yeah, well, it's a very fine touch. Uh, it's uh uh, the music too, the sounds, the things that you decide to use, that's really fascinating as well. How did you work out?
0: That? I was
1: writing the script and I
0: heard Peter Knight's nine years later from Way Out West. I heard it on the radio. I didn't know where it was, but I stopped and I thought, that's the music for the film. That's got everything that's in my film, the big world, the internal world, all the ideas, the technology, the wireless scratching. So I didn't know where in the world that music came from. And then I found out that it was uh, Peter Knight and I contacted him and he was incredibly supportive and generous and uh, allowed me to use his music and some other tracks of his. Similarly, I've been working, I was working over a really long period of time with an Iraqi musician who was from the Iraqi National Orchestra, Mohammed Amin Mardan. And he's a composer, a musicologist and an incredible cello player. And, you know, I was out in his little studio in a, in, a, in his flat in the Western suburbs, and we were watching the film, exploring sounds for it. Um, I would bring ideas. He would send me ideas. I think music is something that's really, really important to me. And um, I, I needed the music. And uh, so I needed to work with the musicians like that. And it was just it was great. I think the music's great and Peter Knight was just so generous and Jem Savage also worked on it with me. So uh, Kate Reid did some piano, uh, some of her piano compositions are in it. And, um, yeah, so there was quite a lot of music in it. It was very important, the musical element in it. And also the radio in the car has music that comes out of it and they talk about music, the two actors, the characters. they they While she's singing, Ali's talking about music There are cross-purposes in that scene and that's something I wanted to to say. It's not easy to connect with another person. We are all so different. We can't understand each other entirely but there was um, an acknowledgement of that difference between them.
1: And as we listen to a little bit of Peter Knight's music, that was a conversation I had with Madeleine Blackwell about her fantastic film, Damage. And uh, because we have limited time on Showreel, we have to move along to a much more raucous film, which was made by another Madeleine, a Madeline Dyer. And it's called A Savage Christmas. And this is her chat with me about her film. Thanks very much for talking to me. I enjoyed your film, A Savage Christmas, and I'd really like to know (laughs) a little bit about Mad Dan Productions.
2: Oh, look, we've we've been creating, you know, content and and working on projects for a good 10-plus years. Um, It's made up of myself and Dan Mulverhill. Um, Mads and Dan, Mad Dan, and Dan's a bit mad, so it all works out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, we've been doing we've been doing a bit of stuff in that space for a long time, and slowly and surely, as you can imagine, with um, indie indie projects, you start to get a few different runs on the board, and your projects get bigger and and better to a point. So. Yes, a savage Christmas is is spawned from that, and then under the umbrella of Roaring Entertainment with our other co-producer Ben McNeil, who's come in um, to the team, and uh, of course Dan and I have opened out our our writing, our co-writing with um, Max Tucher as well. Um, so it was the three of us with um, a Savage Christmas that um, you know of the last couple of years to make that eventuate as well. Yeah, we had a web series called Sexy was quite an out there piece Um, I think that really set the scene for kind of what we like to do as well where it kind of gives a bit of an idea of our unique creative voice so I think um, Savage Christmas also kind of is a nice uh, stepping stone from there as well
1: yeah because what you really like doing is wacky comedy don't you (laughs) yeah you can say that that's for sure yeah
2: we like to push the boundaries uh, where we can and and obviously be mindful of of making that
1: inclusive when we do it as well yeah, and and uh, that's that's uh, really goes to the heart of a savage Christmas. I mean, it talk, it's the classic um, uh, awful Christmas, but um, <laughs> but um, and that's what Christmas can be. Uh, but uh, at the heart of it, you've got all these different types of personalities and characters, and as you say, very inclusive. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how you came, arrived at all the different characters?
2: Again, a Mad Dan original kind of Genesis, you know, if you will. We we, we started this as a a theater play and we we're developing it in that way. And it was always meant to be really domestically charged and quite an, an incredible ensemble piece in whatever way we could, could make it. And and inspiration was of course things like August Sausage County and Long Day's Journey into Night. And and, and we were really taken with the idea of, of being in real time and not kind of time jumping and just really honoring the different spaces and and different configurations of a group of people and what better group of people than a family of course to explore which which makes a lot of sense but particularly a family that don't normally spend much time together and have elements of estrangement so that was another factor that added the conflict of course and then the comedy that could spawn from that as well but the characters there has been quite a few characters that sustained since the original um theater play that we had um the matriarch and patriarch um, James Senior and Brenda, they they came through, and um, Jimmy Junior as well. The you know he 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 made his way through, and then a couple of the other characters started to come from um, having writers' rooms and other voices and minds on it, and their experiences infused, particularly obviously Max as well and his his journey and his queer experience and transition experience, that really started to open up the doors for our other characters, such as Leah and Kane and Davina. Yeah, it was just a little bit of a kind of um, slow organic process um, to build that up. And, and every time new characters were, were introduced, I guess, into the family dynamic and how that fit, it would crack it back open. And, and, you know, quite a bit of surgery was required for the screenplay. And we had to just go through many incarnations. And that could be very intense, but it's so worth it when you've got all these incredible minds, uh, you know, working with you and collaborating with you to get it to, to that point. So it does feel like a very mixed bag, but it's it's been very time-honoured to try and carefully, I guess, craft um, this group of people as a family.
1: And it's very modern, really, because you're including yeah. characters, who, you know, a, a person in transition, uh, their boyfriend, yeah. the confrontation with uh, more traditional um, uh, values uh values um you know uh, so that that's uh a really interesting um uh, bringing to the screen something that is in the Forefront of uh, a modern modern conceptualization isn't it yes
2: most definitely and I think you know even when I you know max gave us permission to really explore um the character of Davina and then of course Kane and and of course getting thea Ravenna on our Gorgeous actress um, playing Davina, and having her input and giving her that autonomy, and you know, really being sh- like sure to make make it clear that Davina's not worthy and not perfect either, and she's figuring it out too, and and. um learning how to teach people how to treat her which all of us have to do to a point but it's even harder with family that put you in a box and expect you to stay there um if you're definitely growing and evolving and I think regardless of um you know transitioning for instance it's that's a great vehicle for a character to show I- I've grown so much I've changed so much but we're all kind of trying to do that as people and um family sometimes kind of hold. The mirror up to us and make us question how far we really have come or not but I, I guess the other point is too we wanted to make sure we were having other um, entry points for the audience um for other voices around particularly Davina's experience as well and and how they felt about it and even if it felt like it wasn't making much sense to her it was true for them so we were, we were trying to honor I guess the truths of every every family member. Well um,
1: well Kane's a great character. Uh, and uh, the uh, deadpan line of, um, of you know James saying, "Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not relaxed. I'm, uh, you know, you people don't, you know, you, you wouldn't have been." He said, "We always were here. We always were here. You know, yeah. <laughs> our society just didn't include us in the script."
2: That's right. That scene. Gosh, that was such a good one. Our um, cinematographer Fung, he could not stop laughing behind behind the camera. It was shaking in that scene, and it's funny when you when different people kind of um, pop off at different scenes. But that is. I love that you brought that up because that is such the heart of um, at least Davina and Kane's experience in this in this family dynamic, and and just reminding people that um, just because you haven't chosen to see and hear us doesn't mean we're not there. We've always been here. Um, I love that you yeah picked up on that. I
1: thought that was um, it was so well done. Yeah, it was. It was beautifully. Um, And, of course, having the outsider there, Kane as the outsider, you know, the reasonable voice, you know, da-da-da-da, watching this family um, go ballistic was such a great um, uh, idea within the framework of this uh, crazy story
2: totally kane was always giving us permission to go okay this is this is getting hectic now you know and um i'm glad that you felt that too because we really wanted to make sure he was kind of caretaking i guess the audience to a point and being that that uh consciousness that we needed um in this little crazy petri dish of of people um but, yeah, you really feel for him at the end. He, he really starts to crack at himself because he's so well-meaning and gorgeous and polite and, and trying to help, help them come together and even by the end he's just like, oh, I give up.
1: <laughs> well, you've got a, a wonderful collection of uh, actors, great actors, I'll have to say. Um, David Roberts is fantastic. Oh isn't he a great actor oh it's just just james senior
2: for me i i i you know he's he's got got such a clown david to him but he's just so passionate um in how he works and he really gets into it i love i love this earnesty he brought to to james senior this this patriarch of course and you know narcissistic traits galore all of the stuff but it's like he he so bought his own his own shit. It was just incredible, and I think there's there's some line where he's like, "I don't have an ego, mate." Like, and it's just the fact that he's just been nothing but ego the whole way through. And it's um he 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 just brought something so magical
1: to that that role. It, it doesn't take away from the other fabulous people. I mean no. Helen Thompson, no. who plays oh. Brenda. I mean, what a consistent performer.
2: I know, and and just her faces she's so iconic as brenda in what she brings but it was amazing because they were both perfect for the roles as well you know they just both
1: energetically could click in and and of course darren Gil- Gils hennon yes his character is so fly it's fantastic did he create oh, look, look, that character
2: actually uncle dick was another that um made it all the way through from our genesis as well darren obviously brought so much to the role he was always going to be the clown for us the comic relief to a point it was so wonderful to earn those moments of hilarity with him where it got a little heightened and it got a little crazy um and he just did it so beautifully but he he is really serious about his craft which i love like comedy is a serious business and he he was so passionate about what he did and and really kind of took the time to to think through how what his offers would be on set and what his was his plans were for what he was going to bring in each scene and um further to that he's an acting teacher as well so and has such a theatrical background and he ended up being such an amazing support and holding space for some of our emerging actors that hadn't been on set before as well which was really lovely and it's kind of speaking to this generosity of spirit that he has and the rest of the team had as well, the actors, um, it was really important that we had that going for us, um, that actors knew that, you know, we're here all together and and some of us haven't ever been on set before and we're going to just get in there and, and get our hands dirty and, and work as a real team or family, if you will. So I was so lucky to have that.
1: Of course, Gary Sweet has now made himself the most scariest character i mean i've seen him in a variety of things where he's been the hard man he does it so well
2: Oh, he did. He really slayed it, didn't he? Um, and I just love he that he did it all in thongs and stubbies this time around. Very Queensland-esque, of course. We had one first little scene and I don't think he really had to speak much in it, but by the second scene we were we were tackling together, all of a sudden this English accent pops out and it was just like, Boom, baby, he's a geezer, of course he is, you know, like um it was really wonderful just to have that just happy accent or, or, or this kind of thing just pop out of him and it was like god damn gaza you really you're really serving it um so yeah he was he was a dream to work with and i think um peter's so lovable in his own way as scary as he is as well
1: yeah I no it, uh, and the absurd element of even gangsters have children that had to wait in the car <laughs>
2: It does, It's. I mean, it's obviously touching on some pretty, like, darker themes, of course, with children and Christmas, you know, even Child Protective Services gets brought up and what that looks like. And, again, that's not lost on us as um, filmmakers and what we've been trying to do here. It's like cracking open and, and, and creating a dialogue around these very, very things, There's
1: these very real things that are happening. This is why you do comedy, isn't it? Because you're, you're, you're talking yep. about comedy and tragedy, at the same time aren't you
2: totally i mean exactly right i think you know for at least with mad dan and what we started and set out to do a manifesto of sorts for us was always we wanted we wanted to do socially charged stuff you know that that was inclusive diverse or offered gave a platform to voices that that needed to be seen and heard within our current paradigms and and societal climates i guess and and comedy is the is is our way. It's probably our natural way to deal with our own darkness, but it's a, the vehicle and the convention that we use to really hit home some some deeper messaging. Um, and you know, it, it's great to be able to get audiences to to laugh and relax and and feel entertained, and then just have this undercurrent and and maybe a few gut punches actually to to make them kind of go, oh wow, I didn't expect to feel like this. You've just turned this on its head for me. And at least one of those ones that maybe hopefully makes you tick over a little bit for your own self and and the own questions that come up from it as well.
1: Um, So it's got a theatrical release.
2: We have a theatrical release. It's on Thursday, this Thursday, the 16th of November. uh, We've got national uh, cinema coverage at least. And, I mean, it'll probably only be up to a week theatrical window, which is, you know, still a dream. It's just a dream to have it happen. Um, but we're very, very grateful to the support we've had so far from the cinemas that have um, locked us in. And um, there, we, we've got the Savage Christmas website where people can go and, and and there's a list of all the sites there, which is helpful, of course. Um, but we also had our, um, we had Cinefest uh, the other month and then Biff, our homecoming premiere, um, Brisbane International Film Festival just recently. So we got to have a sold-out uh, cinema and really feel out the audience and, and that was so well-received. So it was a great shot in the arm for hopefully things to come this week.
1: Yeah, and as I said, it's going to be on at the Sun Cinema in Yarrowville. That's A Savage Christmas and that was Madeline Dyer and we also spoke to Madeline uh blackwell for about her amazing film damage so you can see that it's uh, on i know at the nova and a number of other places in melbourne uh, coming up next is published or not we'll go out with dancing on the edge by mia dyson This magic moment won't last As everything comes to an end And then it happens You reach your lowest point And then it changes You rise back